the next episode of Nerd Clicks and Chill will start in three, two, one, zero. Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Carrie. And we are Nerd Flicks and Chill, and it's time for our very last Game of Thrones recap. It's all over. Game of Thrones, Season 8, Episode 6, The Iron Throne. Carrie, what a ride it's been. Do you really think this is going to be the last time we talk about Game of Thrones? Well, for this series with these characters, as far as a new episode, probably. Yeah. But we're definitely not done with... This universe of characters, if if George R. R. Martin is to be believed, and there are still three spinoff series in development. Oh, three? See, I heard... I know there's the one that's going on right now, which has had a name change. Did you yeah. catch that? Yeah, it's not called The Long Night anymore. Yeah, I don't think they've announced an official title. I know they have, like, a working title. It's like, like they were, like, filming it under the title of Blood Moon or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then uh, apparently there's one other one, but I, I didn't know there was a third. I knew originally they were tossing around like five different ideas, but yeah, I didn't yeah. know they've, they've narrowed it down to just three. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk about those spinoff shows a little bit later, but, uh, what a ride it's been, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a ride within the show and then on the internet as well. Yeah, I haven't read any of that stuff on the internet. I'm I'm just getting so frustrated with just the toxicity of people. Yeah. Like also like people today with their stupid uh brand in a wheelchair, iron throne wheelchair jokes, blah 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 blah. It's just, oh, I haven't seen cruel. I haven't seen any of that. Uh, it's cruel and dumb. Yeah. But let's talk about this episode. So after everything we've seen, now we can look at this final season as one big picture. So I guess kind of we should get into our thoughts on this finale. Yeah, I uh, I actually found it quite satisfying. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't sure where it was going to go from last week's episode. And I mean, even as this one was starting, I was kind of like Tyrion walking through King's Landing, being very walking gingerly, not really sure what's going to be around the corner. And I actually really enjoyed it. I thought they addressed a lot of things, not everything. I still have a lot of questions. But I thought as far as an ending goes for this show, that's about as happy of an ending as you're going to get. I mean, we've seen through eight seasons of this show, not a lot of characters get happy endings at all. Right. And the fact that, you know, it, it did end so seemingly peaceful. I mean, granted, we don't know the entire picture, but that a lot of the major characters did seem to have a happy-ish ending I think is the best we could have hoped for. It's, it was never going to end like a, you know, happily ever after fairy tale or a Disney movie, you know, and, and from the get go, George R.R. R. Martin has always said that it was going to have a bittersweet ending. And I think it did. I think it was definitely very bittersweet. And, and a lot of people are not going to find that satisfying, but I, I thought it was great. 
Yeah, there was no way that the ending was ever going to satisfy the entire fan base. Yeah. Mostly because you have such a, a strong contingent of Daenerys fans, and I feel a lot of them won't accept her character turn. Yeah. And whether you accept it or not, I don't know. I feel like it, it's been pretty teed up, but that was a conversation for last week. Yeah. But what I immediately thought of with the ending of this episode is obviously George R. R. Martin is still working on the books. Uh, the winds of winter, we've been waiting on it for years. And then a dream of spring, which will close out the series, hopefully. Mm. But the original title of a dream of spring was going to be A Time for Wolves. And if I look at the ending of last night's episode, that whole kind of epilogue on the end, that is A Time for Wolves, I think. I think that's kind of what it's getting at. Because the way this ends is basically with the Starks running everything. Yeah. And uh, so I, I kind of see that as probably being a very similar way to to how the books will end, too. Yeah. I had a feeling we were going to go towards this whole succession crisis after a while. Mm-hmm. And I had a feeling they were going to have to have some sort of, like, provisional government. I actually did also have an inkling, and I actually think I mentioned it a couple times here, that, that even though I kind of liked Sansa as being the person that would step in, that I thought Bran would be an interesting choice because he doesn't want anything. Yeah. Um. So... I think that it's not the ending that I would have wanted because as a Jon Snow fan, I wanted Jon to to finally kind of realize that he needs to step up and be responsible. That maybe would have been the ending that I would have preferred. But I think the way they executed this ending was actually quite good. I, I agree. It was satisfying. I have some issues with a couple of things that happened in the episode, but overall, uh, I think the ending was satisfying. I think the the music in the back section, in that epilogue section, where we get to hear this kind of new version of the Stark theme, mm-hmm. where it's more hopeful and it's more triumphant, I thought that really aided the storytelling as well. Um, seeing Sansa get crowned as Queen in the North yeah. with that killer Weirwood dress that she's wearing. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was great. I love the cross-cutting. So I actually really enjoyed this ending, and I think that... It's going to sit pretty well with fans for years to come. I agree. I've I've watched it twice now already, and I think I enjoyed it even more on the second viewing than I did at first. And granted, because I am over in the UK right now, I was watching it at two o'clock in the morning. (laughs) So um, I was a little uh, bleary eyed, but um, I watched it again this morning and... Yeah, I, I think I enjoyed it even more the second time around, um, which really solidified my thoughts on it. And I think one of the things that was really strong here is that Amelia Clark, Peter Dinklage, and Kit Harrington get some really great moments. They do. Their performance is really strong here. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I I think in this season, uh, now granted, they were... They were juggling a lot in the season and a lot of characters all converging together. And I think that there were some characters that I uh, was really disappointed with them this season, not necessarily because of the writing. It's just they didn't get a chance to have anything to chew on. Cersei being one of them. She spent the entire season just staring out a window. Um, and she normally has such amazing lines. And um, I think it was one of the things that I was talking about earlier 
in the season is that at this point, she didn't really have anybody worthwhile to play off of. And so it just made her kind of boring to me this season. But yeah, Tyrion, really strong. I think um, as far as, uh, and he's been recognized for it before, um, that he is one of the strongest players on this entire show. But yeah, I thought um, Amelia Clark was really, really strong this season overall, and especially in this episode as well. And uh, yeah, they they did a really good job with what they were given. I, I think Amelia Clark may be one of the most improved actresses yeah. that I've seen. And you know, when you go back and look at her in season one versus, you know, here in season eight, like, I think she's really strong. Yeah. So good for her. I think she was, she was great. Um, also, one of the things that I thought has been really interesting with regards to John's character, because I actually love where John ends. John gets about as happy an ending as John could get. Oh, totally. Yeah. But one of the things that, that I noticed is even going back to season seven, John was starting to look fondly upon his time in the Night's Watch. Yeah. yeah. And then he started sounding a little bit more like Maester Eamon mm-hmm. in a couple of different scenes this season. And then only in this episode to directly quote Maester Eamon. And Maester Eamon also kind of abdicated his claim to the throne. So there's this, yeah. there's this symmetry, you know, that, that he had this Targaryen influence, but it was from a kind of the, an unexpected Targaryen influence from Maester Eamon. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And, and then he also, um, another person that he really looked up to was Mance Raider. Who yeah. wasn't, didn't Mance Raider used to be part of the Night's Watch? Yeah. And then deserted and went to be part of the Wildlings and, you know, the King Beyond the Wall. And he was somebody that John definitely looked up to and revered as well. And he quite literally followed in his footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's left a little bit ambiguous at the end with John where you don't know if he's necessarily the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch or is he now the King Beyond the Wall? you get a little bit of a hint at both of those things? Well, I think the the way that I saw it was that, yes, they were sentencing him, quote unquote, to, you know, go back up to the Night's Watch with, and John was like, is there even still a Night's Watch? Like, what the heck? And he goes up there and he never changes into his, like, fully black clothes because he still has that northern, I don't know, wolf pelt instead of the black you know he never changes into that and when he's leaving with Tormund and all of the other wildlings that were you know kind of staying there and the fact that the kids and everybody's leaving tells me they're not just going scouting they're they're going to set up a new life or something and just because of the way that he exited and kind of like turned and looked behind him where it was like Yep, that's it. I'm done. Moving forward. Let's yeah. go start a new a new life. And I thought there was something that was really interesting, and I have not heard anybody mention this, that when they're first showing them emerging from Castle Black beyond the wall, there's a camera shot with a camera really low to the ground, and you see a green sprout. That's showing you, to me, it's showing that it's showing new life. It's mm-hmm. showing that, you know, it's getting warm up there. 
it's you know the the night's king is gone it's it's it it's showing promise of of something new that there's you know fact that there's a, a green plant that's sprouting yeah. in the in the snow um, the dream of spring yeah i've not heard anybody mention that whatsoever and i thought it was something that was it was very seemingly small but yet it held a lot of meaning to it yeah yeah definitely and i think that one of the other things about john's story and tying it back to maester aemon I went back and I looked at a clip from season one, episode nine, where Maester Eamon gives John that whole love is the death of duty speech. Yeah. And where John finds out who Ma- Maester Eamon really is. Yeah. Yeah. That actually foreshadows the choice that John has to make in this episode. Yeah. And it's so interesting because there's so much... um Focus on choices. There's so many characters who have to make a choice. And so much of this show is about the consequences of choices that people make. In that episode, Mace Raymond tells John that one day he's going to have to make a choice. And then in this episode, Tyrion tells John, you have to choose and you have to choose now. He's yeah. basically highlighting for him that moment that Maester Raymond told him would come eventually. Yeah. And I think that's great character writing. You know, people can criticize the Double Ds as much as they want, and they're not the best writers in the world, and that's fine. But, like, that is solid seeding of a character story. Well, I think that's one of the one of the themes of this entire season. I mean, especially even in this episode is choice. You know, I mm-hmm. think that was one of the things that that was the kicker for John when he did what he did to Daenerys was, you know, he's asking her these questions. You know, how do you know what's good? What about these other people that think they know what's good? And her answer is like, they don't get to choose. And right. that was the thing for John. I, I think, I think up until that point, he was unsure if he could do it. And I think, you know, when he's, you know, fighting back tears, that's, I took it that as that's his inner struggle, you know, after the fact that after we saw what he did, but that was his inner internal struggle, not knowing what to do. And he's asking her all these questions because it's like, give me a reason not to do this. I don't want to yeah. do this. I need you to give me something. And then when she says that, they don't get to choose. It's like that. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think Kit Harrington plays that really well. You can see the conflict. Oh, yeah. In John, in that moment, you know, where you you don't know necessarily what he's going to do. Like, you have a hint of what he's going to do, but I think that he as a character is uncertain until that moment that you just pointed out, where she says they don't get to choose. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. I mean, choice is such a, a theme of this, not just this season or this episode, but this entire show. And then just the, to think about, like, the ghosts that haunt the rooms that these people are in throughout this episode. You mm. get a little bit later on in the small council. But, you know, to see Jon Snow and Daenerys standing in front of the Iron Throne, and then to see Drogon come in and melt it. Like, all the misery, all the, the bloodshed, all the suffering, and, you know, all the, the ghosts that kind of haunt that chamber. It's yeah. where Jon's father was betrayed. It's where... Danny's father was murdered. There's so much that kind of hangs over it. 
And, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see in the context of this whole show, these characters in that moment, in that place. Yeah. And there was, there were so many callbacks in this episode to earlier seasons. There were so many references, even to the books. Um, speaking of being there and with the Iron Throne, I love when Danny starts talking about the Iron Throne and how she had heard about it from her brother. And she had always pictured it as this giant mound of swords where you couldn't even see the top. And I know that that was something that a lot of people when this show started were a little disappointed when they actually saw the throne because there had been artistic um, representations of the throne of it being just that, you know, this giant mound of, um, of, of swords. And I thought it was, it was really kind of a, a nice little, you know, wink to the book readers. That she's like, you know, I've heard tales of this. It's made of a thousand swords and basically saying, I don't know what that looks like, but this is at that time. I didn't know what a thousand meant. So I was just picturing this mountain of swords. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was a nice, nice little nudge. Yeah. There are two shots also that I want to talk about as well. There's a couple of beautiful are... shots in the, as, oh man. Uh, Two of my favorite ones. One happens towards the beginning of the episode. Uh, it, it's an iconic shot, I think, in the history of the show is where, uh, it's that kind of depth of field shot where mm-hmm. you have Daenerys walking in front of Drogon and Drogon spreads his wings and it looks oh, like Daenerys has wings. So good. That shot is incredible. Yeah. I saw that. I just audibly was like, wow. Yeah. That was so cool. And then the other one is when before John goes into the throne room to, to eventually kill Daenerys when Drogon is covered in the snow and he shakes and you don't know what it is until like he just kind of emerges from it. That was so great. Yeah. That was really, really well done. Another shot that I liked is when Danny's in the throne room and she's just kind of ogling the throne and you just see the, the, just the hint of John kind of lurking in the archway behind her. Yeah. I thought that was set up really well. Yeah, that was, was some really great framing on that mm-hmm. shot. Yeah, that was very, very well done. They they showed a little bit of polish with the directing here for uh, Benioff and Weiss, because they did some really cool stuff. I love the overhead shot of um, Jamie and Cersei buried in the, the yeah. rubble. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really good. I thought Dinklage was... Peter Dinklage was awesome in this episode. He was, yeah. I, I, pretty much... Any scene that he was in, it was amazing. Amazingly portrayed. Yeah, he did a really, really great job. Um, when we get down to John killing Daenerys. Yeah. And then Drogon coming in and he pulls a full on Simba with Mufasa. <laughs> dad, dad, <laughs> dad, get up. Yeah, yeah, he uh he then melts down the Iron Throne and carries Daenerys away. A couple things to unpack from that. I love the idea that Daenerys, who's this kind of epic character, gets this kind of epic send-off. Like, she dies in the throne room, but then, like, the dragon carrying her body away. Yeah. She almost has, like, a, a mythical exit yeah. from the series as well. Yeah. And I kind of like that with her in the throne room i thought it echoed the uh premonition from the house of the undying really really well the fact that 
in that vision from season two, she's in the throne room and you're seeing where it looks like snow or ash or something. And, and you're seeing that it's in ruins. And as she's approaching the Iron Throne, now in the vision, she doesn't get to touch it. She did touch it here. She never sat upon it, but she does touch it. But then she's distracted. And just like in her vision, as she's going to touch it, she gets distracted. And, and what she gets distracted by in the vision is um, seeing Khal Drogo and their unborn son. And which... And here's an interesting little fact. The unborn son, quote unquote, in that scene is actually a little girl. And it's the onset photographer's little girl, by the way. Yeah. So anyway, um, I just read that a couple days ago. I thought it was really cool. Um, so it's, it's interesting that, you know, we know that Khal Drogo obviously at that point had died the season before. And now looking back at it, it's almost foreshadowing her death before she even gets a chance to touch or to sit on the iron throne that she's going to die because she turns and looks and sees them is that her vision of the afterlife you know and same thing here she does touch the throne but then she gets distracted she doesn't even get to sit on it or anything and and dies um so i thought that was a really nice parallel there yeah oh, i i completely agree i really like that a lot because I think everybody who's watched this series was kind of looking at that moment as her hand is reaching out to touch it. And you're like, is she going to touch it? Is yeah. she going to touch the yeah. throne? Gonna... And so, you know, she finally does. But yeah, we we, we get the impending doom that's coming her way. Uh, but with, with Drogon melting the Iron Throne, I really like this. Uh, there was an article in Vanity Fair from a couple weeks ago that basically says that the Iron Throne is kind of like the Ring of Power from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It corrupts everybody who possesses it and even those who tend to seek it. And the only way to to, to uh, resist its power is to cast it in fire. Mm. And that is exactly what happens in this episode. Which is really interesting. I just thought of, um, as you were mentioning that, because the ring itself needed to be taught, not just... Not just burned any old way. It needed to be tossed into the fires of Mount Dune from where it was forged. Right. And this is really interesting, too, because the throne itself was put together with dragon fire. Yeah. And so to have it then be melted away and destroyed by dragon fire. That's really cool. Yeah. I, and you also get this kind of uh, with the Stark send off a little later in the episode, you almost get this kind of Grey Havens thing. Oh, like definitely. The hobbits. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and from the get go, we had always heard of how, um, George R.R. R. Martin was so inspired by the Lord of the Rings and, um, didn't directly copy things, but you can definitely see where his inspiration lies. I mean, even down to specific character names, you know, like Sam and, um, there's, I think there's some other characters, um, that were not mentioned on the show that, um, parallel some Lord of the Rings characters' names, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, it definitely had that feel about it. And I'm not mad about it by any means. I mean, so many of the greatest stories, you know, carry some of the same type of, of parallels and outlines. In fact, we've talked about it many times, talking about the hero's journey. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's not anything that bothered me whatsoever. And that's always been one of the themes of this series is how power corrupts. And I think that's what we're really getting to see a lot of here. And 
for all the people that had issues with Daenerys's turn, I actually thought when Tyrion and Jon are having that conversation, I think Tyrion articulates Daenerys's character very, very well. Yeah. Yeah. As far as the things that she's done and you know, evil men have challenged her and she has destroyed evil men and we've cheered her on. But yep. those lines become blurred after a while mm-hmm. to where she is convinced of the rightness of everything she does. Right. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. I, I really thought they did a great job of kind of articulating those aspects of her character. Yeah, I, I did as well. And then uh, later on, uh, when he's kind of standing in, in, in judgment in, in front of all the houses and he's kind of talking about stories and how stories are so popular and how that stories unite everybody. And I thought that was another thing where it was, it was almost like he was, he slash the double D's were speaking to the audience, you know? Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And I was hoping that those moments were going to really resonate with people. And, and, uh, kind of, I don't know, um, kind of satiate some of the vitriol that people have had as of late. And I, it seems as if people are still so divided. I, I've seen, um, lots of people who thought this episode was, or the ending was perfection. And then other people that said that they were really disappointed in it. But one of the things that I've really noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, that a lot of people who said that they were, they felt let down or they didn't like it. They were disappointed. They haven't really articulated exactly why. Yeah. I think it's a matter of expectations, you know, like looking back on season eight, I think there are a couple of different narrative choices yeah. That could have been made a little bit differently. Like, I kind of wish that the war against the dead would have had a little bit more of a lasting impact. Yeah. Like, I get that that Miguel Sapochnik talked about if episode three was the war for the dead and how we survive, episode five was the who do we become. Mm. But I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. I would have liked to have seen a world where the forces were so depleted that there was just hardly anything left to fight over um, to see. Cause it, it feels to a certain degree like Daenerys can just regenerate an army at will, you know, how many, yeah. how many unsullied are left? Are there like 500 left? Are there like still a few thousand left? Yeah. And then the Dothraki, same yes. thing. That was the thing I was surprised about in this episode as well, that there were so many unsullied and Dothraki. I was like, I thought there were only like a handful so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about that either. But I mean, that's, but that fact or that head scratch, I guess, wasn't enough to make me completely throw away everything, you know? No, I, I agree. I just, I, a little more connective tissue between, yeah, yeah. uh, the consequences of, you know, that battle. I think that would have been a little bit more, um, interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. But again, that's kind of picking at nits. However, there is one kind of thing that I think is the big, to me, my big issue with the, with the finale. And it's, it's not a, a huge issue, but there's that changeover that happens midway through that as a viewer, you gotta really buy into a whole lot of shit that happened when you were not watching. So like, Drogon carries Daenerys off and then there's that changeover and all of a sudden we are weeks later 
So, like, what? How did the Unsullied not just kill John outright? Who's running stuff in King's Landing for these right. few weeks? Yep. Like, we don't know some of the particulars of that. And it seems, considering the tension that had been building between Grey Worm and John, that it seems like they just would have executed him outright. Right. And, and after Daenerys was killed, who still gives Grey Worm the authority? Right. All of this authority. Like, no, he, I, I'm not bringing John to this council because, you know, it's like, who, no, you don't get to choose that. Exactly like with what, um, Tyrion said. I'm like, that's not your choice. And then I also thought it was very interesting too that, and I guess it just shows how regarded Tyrion really was by amongst everybody. Cause I'm thinking if he's the prisoner here, why are they all listening to him? Why are they all letting him make this decision all of a sudden? Yeah. I, I think there's probably a statement in there or probably a rationalization that there was no power structure and essentially the Unsullied no longer served Daenerys. They served the realm. Yeah. It's it's still a tough leap in logic to buy. Yeah. Um, But so to me, that was kind of like one of the issues that I had with it. And then my other two, my other two little issues that I had one I didn't like them laughing down Sam's suggestion of democracy. Yeah, that was um that was really ugly. Yeah, particularly when that's how Danny left Marine. Yeah. They formed a democratic government there. So, and then the second was the Song of Ice and Fire bit. Oh, that was really cheesy. Yeah, I didn't like that either. No. Did not like. Those are so those are the small things that I had issues with, but um, ultimately, I felt it to be very satisfying. No, I did too. I mean, overall, I thought it was, I thought it was a really nice wrap up to everything. Um, no, it wasn't perfect, but what is? I mean, what would make it perfect? You know, what, what is perfect to one person is somebody else is going to find some kind of fault in there. You know, I think it was as perfect right. as we could get. Um, the, one of the things though that really frustrates me in some of the people's criticism is that there are so many people that are saying that they felt they deserved more. And, and it makes me wonder, like, more what? More time? Yes, I would love to have more time with these characters. Sure. But that's not going to happen. But like, deserved what? Deserved a more epic ending? What? I don't know what was that supposed to be. It was, like I said, it's not going to end like a fairy tale. It's not going to end like a Disney movie. And I mean, quite literally, we really had our hero riding off into the sunset. <laughs> you right. know, it doesn't get much more perfect than that. Well, um, there's also, it's also been said in this show on screen if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. That's true. Like, they can't spell it out any more than that. Yeah. They can't really, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think anytime you get into the end of something like this, you run into the expectations game. Yeah. And some people will have their expectations met, others won't, and that's just the way it is. And this this finale was always going to be 50-50, and I think that um, that's just kind of the nature of everything when it comes to an end i i know for myself i try to be open to story like i try to always be open to it i try not to have expectations um you know it's hard to fight against sometimes but i try to be open to where the story takes me and if the story lands in a place that is 
satisfying where characters do things that characters I think should do, then I feel okay about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought everything ended well. And I'm thinking, I'm like, what, what would have made people happy? What is the, the epicness that people felt that they were missing? And <laughs> there was just a, a flash that popped into my head that just kind of made me chuckle. And it's so silly and stupid. Um, and not what I would want, but it's kind of like, okay, fine. You want something you think is going to be happy and epic? You know, the, the kingdoms are united. And what do you, you want an ending like, um, the end of episode three or the end of, um, the new ending that they put at the end of Return of the Jedi, where it's showing all the different people on the different planets, like having a, they're having a party and they're all happy that, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> Yay, we've all been liberated now and Bran is the king and like at at the end of Return of the King and you know um the crowning of Aragorn at Gondor and everybody's um or at Minas Tirith. Was it Minas Tirith? Yeah. And uh you know, and everybody's cheering is like, is that is that what you're wanting? Is that what would have made the difference there? I don't know, because I think there's a lot of stuff that happened in this that was really quite epic. So I yeah. I, I don't know what um i don't understand yeah why people feel so let down and 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 it's i i don't know if people are are feeling let down because it didn't end how they wanted it to end but it's not their story you know sure um so i don't i don't know well we live in kind of a hyper connected on-demand world now Mm. and i think that our culture plays into how we consume story. And I don't know that that's always a good thing. Um, it, it allows us to be able to talk about the things that we like, and that's really great. But there's also kind of a poisonous element to it, too. And there's also what happens when something grows in popularity. Uh, there's this kind of weird thing that people who have been on board the entire time do, where they try to keep it just for them. Right. Like, there's all those different things at play here, but even still, I think that at best this was going to be a 50% love it, 50% hate it kind of thing, just because that's just what happens with these things. Well, that's what happens with TV shows. Yeah, and something in particular with this, and I think I kind of touched on it a little bit last episode, that, you know, as we were nearing the end, there were so many people who were like rushedly trying to consume the entire series, just plowing through it, marathoning it, watching a whole bunch of episodes every single day just to get to this point where they could watch it with everybody else. So the whole thing is not spoiled for them. And, you know, I really think that watching this show in that way does this show so much of a disservice. And I think it, unfortunately... It does not allow you to really notice a lot of the intricacies and the subtleties that are within the show. And I think that's where this show has shown, where it's shined, shown the most. <laughs> yes. um, and, uh, you know, and I've mentioned it before that I've, I will watch episodes, you know, two and three times and, and pick out little things here and there that I didn't notice before or, um, even going back and watching some of the earlier seasons and seeing how much was referenced 
in a later season to back to the first one. And especially in this season, there's so many callbacks, especially to season one, but um, so many things that have been peppered through that they have, you know, called back on and have um, circled back around to address again or to complete something or something that was just mentioned in passing that's brought back and has become a major, um, a major thing. And if you are watching this show back to back, just trying to plow through, get through it, get the main story points all the way to the end, I think you're missing, you've missed so much. Right. And I think it's in those little subtleties and it's in those little callbacks to previous seasons that happened within this season, a lot of those little subtleties that if you didn't catch them or you weren't able to make the connection, it's not going to feel as full and satisfying to you, possibly. Um, I think there may be some people, if they're, if they are able to give it a chance to go back and rewatch and, and really allow yourself to, slowly digest all of it and just to take it in and, and go and watch it with new eyes all the way through to the end i think they might find it a bit more satisfying yeah there's a really nice symmetry in the idea that this series started with a lannister pushing a stark out of a window and it ends with a lannister pushing that same stark into uh into the throne mm. you know there is a nice symmetry about it that I think is kind of pleasing and it does, it does provide a really nice bookend to, to the series itself. So I, I like that idea. Like I'm not thrilled that it's Bran. Right. Um, I, I actually would have preferred Sansa over Bran, but I get it. And I think Tyrion does a great job of explaining it and explaining the why of it. Yeah. And it kind of pays off some of the conversations that he's had with Bran as he's gotten to know him a little bit and maybe understand him. Maybe he now realizes the importance of it. And it's it's interesting because I think I've heard a lot of people talk about how, you know, Bran didn't deserve it. But, like, it's not a question of deserve. Deserving, people who feel entitled to something, is the whole game of Thrones itself. Right. Which is toxic. Yep. It's this, like, it's this obsession. It's this lust for power. And I think that's the whole point, is you don't want somebody who feels they deserve it. You want somebody who will serve. Right. And I think that's what it, it ultimately gets at. Although it is kind of funny when you're at a council and basically your sister tells everybody that you can't, like, have kids, you know. <laughs> Great. Thanks. That you, got, that you got messed up junk. Yeah. Thanks, sis. Like, uh, how do you know that? <laughs> I haven't even tried. <laughs> Come on. Now, let's talk a little bit about the council because the council to me is really interesting. Um Another little kind of nitpicky thing. I don't know how the council works. I don't know who gets votes. Like, I don't quite understand that. <laughs> yeah. They all start saying I, but like Brianna's a knight. So does she get a, I don't. And this way, Sir Davos is like, I don't know if I get a vote, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know if you get a vote either, man. Yeah. But whatever. I get what we're, I get what we're going for here. Yeah. <laughs> There's like the Dornish prince over in the corner who looks like a Dornish prince. Yep. Unnamed um, Dornish prince. Yeah. 
And then Edmure. Oh my god, freaking Edmure. <laughs> uh yeah, uncle sit down. <laughs> yeah. That really really made me laugh. And the fact that uh everybody's like um uh has that uncomfortable look and he goes to sit down and he like hits his sword on the on the pole and yeah it's oh poor Edmure Tully. <laughs> I like that Robin Aaron actually looks like a normal person now. He doesn't look like a, a weird little creep. Yeah I mean just like uh with Tormund apparently breast milk does a body good when you're like 10. <laughs> I guess. Okay. I, uh... I don't know. Which yeah Gross. i love the idea of Arya threatening yara Greyjoy. yeah they um exchanged some interesting looks i thought um they were actually looks of like respect or something like it didn't seem that they were um really aggressive towards one another even though their words seemed otherwise but it was like all right i see you yeah yeah i thought oh, that was Arya, interesting. Arya would destroy yara Greyjoy. oh she totally would I have no doubt about that. Well, and I think Yara knows that because, you know, Arya destroyed the Night King, so. Yeah, there That's are some un- quiet. Yeah, there are some unnamed noblemen sitting around there. Yeah. And it has been pointed out that one of them is very interesting. Now, they're never given names, so whether or not they're actually these people or not is whatever. But there's one whose um, outfit looks similar to what Howland Reed wore in the Tower of Joy flashback. Oh, really? So a lot of people speculating that that may be a wink to uh, possibly being Howland Reed, who, again, would have been the only person alive who knew John's true parentage. Mm. So, you know, again, it's never named or anything like that, but that's a fun potential little tie in there. But Bravo yeah, I never noticed that bit. Yeah, I really like this idea of, you know, these houses putting together a new a new structure. Because Tyrion actually says something that's really interesting when he's talking to Grey Worm and he says, This is how we break the wheel. This yeah. like basically this idea of them in this kind of conclave in the dragon pit selecting a new king, kind of like the Catholic Church electing a new pope. <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, white dragon fire means they've got the new king whatever um (laughs) but he says that this is how she wanted to break the wheel and it's a way to kind of honor her legacy too yeah you know her idea for breaking the wheel got a little bit extreme at, at the end obviously but it does kind of honor her legacy because there would have been a succession crisis after daenerys would have died anyway even had she claimed the throne yeah because she was never able to bear children, so they would have had to have some other means of selecting a new ruler. Right. So I think that, in in an odd way, kind of helps to uh, honor her legacy. So I thought that was really well done as well. Arya going off to west of Westeros. I think we we knew that was coming, right? Well, I, I think we were, were hoping that's what was going to be coming because that's what she had, uh, talked about a couple seasons ago when she was having the discussion with, um, Lady Crane, the actress yeah. that she was supposed to kill. Um, that's exactly, I mean, her lines were almost verbatim of what she said she wanted to do. And, and yeah. I was hoping that that's what was going to happen. 
Yeah, there is some some book stuff that uh, that I think references. It, it kind of ties back to how Daenerys got her dragon eggs, and the, the, like this one character who went west. Uh, but like landed on these islands and I think ended up, I think her boat ended up in Ashai. So it's not directly saying that if you sail west, you end up in Essos. Mm. But, you know, it could possibly be, be that. Uh, so I think that's a great ending for Arya, much like Nymeria, her direwolf out in the wilderness doing her thing. Yep. Sansa gets what she wants. She gets to be the, the lady of Winterfell, the queen in the north. Yep. And I think that's a, a great ending for her. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, it happened in the previous episode when we see that overhead shot of the map room in King's Landing mm-hmm. that Cersei had made. Yeah. When Drogon hits it, there's like a crack that forms between the north and the south. Yeah. Like separating the and, two. Yeah. And they actually brought that crack on the map room into the opening credits for this episode. So you can actually see that crack signaling, foreshadowing that you're going to have a divided north and ah, everything else. I did not see that. So they laid that kind of right out there in the open. Yeah. Then, of course, Bran ends up on the Iron Throne and John goes to the north. What did you think of Bran and his small council? Um, well. Oh, his small council. I'm thinking of um, when they were in the dragon pit. As I thought it was really interesting that... You know, when Tyrion um, makes the offer to Bran, you know, will you, if we offer this to you, will you wear the crown? And, and Bran responds like, well, why do you think I came all this way? You know, he's never, he's never ventured outside of Winterfell, you know, um, well, he ventured north of the wall, but I mean, out, outside of the north, rather. And, and it made me wonder, it's like, so if he knew that he was going to become king, and he just let Daenerys destroy King's Landing anyway? Or is it like it had to get to that point? The throne had to be destroyed and that was how it had to be destroyed. So all of that had to happen for him to get there. I wonder if he knew that all of this was going to happen. He had to have. They've addressed that the future comes to him only in pieces. Yeah. But he doesn't necessarily... He He can see like... I don't know, like, we've seen it in some of his visions before, right? Like, yeah. he saw that there was a dragon flying over King's Landing, but he wasn't sure of the context of it, right? Right, right, right. Um, was that, you know, was that when Daenerys went to the dragon pit for the first time, or was it when she decided to barbecue the city? Right. So he gets, like, fragments. Mm. So maybe he did see something. Uh, but it does leave the, the possibility open that if you're somebody who's into speculating, that maybe brand this was all kind of an elaborate game for him to rise to power right um but in regards to his small council um i thought i thought it was really interesting his entrance and then his subsequent exit like has anybody heard from drogon oh well he was last seen flying east maybe i see if i maybe i'll see if i can find him and then he goes away. It was like, it was almost like at back at the Werewood tree with, um, with Theon. I'm going to go now. Uh, okay. Yeah. What? Where are you going? Um, but some people, I thought this was an interesting theory that some people, um, kind of took that as a wink that, uh, Bran could warg into Drogon 
or that he had warged into Drogon at some point earlier. Yeah, let me see if I can go find him. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, that there's it leaves open the possibility that maybe he can do that. Also, Drogon is essentially a loose nuke. Yeah. So it's probably a good idea to know where he is. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there is a, a way that you could look at it if you believe that the Three-Eyed Raven's intentions are sinister, that maybe he's looking to secure that for future use, you know? And we'll uh, never know. That, that there's, there's a cynical reading of it that's out there as well. Mm. And I think that's kind of part of the fun of this show, is you can always speculate about, about what the future's going to be. And And speaking specifically of the Small Council, why does Bran need a, a Lord of Whispers? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, why? Just is it just because you know symbolically he should? Because he he shouldn't need that. I don't know. I look at Bran as like Google, but you have to know what to type in. <laughs> That's true. Okay. He he's like not like omnipresent at all times. He has to go through the filing cabinet. He has to hit the filing cabinet. You have to Google. <laughs> and you have to press search. You have to put in your search criteria and then get the results. The Dewey Decimal System. He needs so that's to, yeah. how I kind of see the way Bran's head works. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And maybe that helps. Yeah, so the small council, I thought the um, Bran is the master of Goin, I thought was interesting. Um, and I, I still don't know what to think of, like, the humor that they tried to put in there. I mean, I guess it, it needed to be, it needed some lightness somewhere in there but i guess it's nice that braun finally got his castle he finally got his lands that he wanted he felt that he was paid back in full he's satisfied yeah. he's satisfied with his ending what more could you ask for than that he is i have not been a fan of braun's character ever since he survived the spoils of war episode yeah. i actually thought that was the perfect episode for him to die in yeah i did too because after that his character was pretty much useless um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go as far as to say useless. I just feel like his character didn't impact the story at all. Yeah. Um, and, and so I feel like maybe Braun exists as a way to show how, how these great lords come to power. Mm. Cause he's even said, said as much. He's like, you're, you know, all these highborn people, they weren't always highborn. They were just cutthroats who just yeah. seized their opportunity. Maybe that's what he's showing there. Yeah. But I, I don't love that character anymore. And I thought that he had a, a better ending, uh, last season. Yeah. I completely agree with that. But having Davos and Sam on the small council really seems to suggest that, you know, maybe, maybe there is hope for Westeros after all. Yeah. I agree. And they also do a great job with that scene because towards the end, the camera starts to pan out a little bit and you get that sense of closure there that there's normalcy and it's like business as usual. Yeah. Yeah. And can I just say a nice tip of the hat to you? You totally called it with Brienne writing in the white book, filling in the bits about Jamie. Yeah. You totally called that. And I thought that was very satisfying and, and, Definitely something bittersweet. And I liked seeing Brienne in that light uh, because she was another character this season that I was just kind of disappointed in. I hated, absolutely hated seeing the the farewell to Jamie, you know, when she's, you know, just reduced to bits. 
with him leaving and I hated seeing her like that. So I liked that even though through her heartache and everything, she's still one of the most noble characters and that she can fill this in. Um, you know, that's her responsibility as, as, you know, head of the King's guard, um, which is amazing that that was her yeah. um, designation um, is to fill in those, those bits about the other nights and the fact that she was able to do that for Jamie and had a lot to add, you know, she filled up that page and then turned the page and filled up a complete other page, you know, with all of his exploits and um, a little detail that I did not catch the first time that I watched it, but I did see it the next time. Did you catch the new insignia that was on her armor? I didn't. So, um, on her breastplate, or I guess, I guess it's the breastplate. Um, there's an insignia there of a crow or a raven. So it, that's, uh, Brand's sigil, I guess. It's awesome. It was really cool. I thought it was, um, I really like that design. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. We saw that book a while back. Um, I can't remember which season it was. I don't remember if it was season, it might be early season four before Joffrey dies, because Joffrey's giving Jamie a hard time about not having a whole lot of deeds in that book. Right. And I think when Brienne is finishing it, I think one of the names that it rolls past is Arthur Dane, which is really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. A callback to uh, Barristan the Sword Selmy. of the Morning. Yeah. Yeah. Barristan the Bold. Yeah. Yeah, so there's... there's it, it's also... I talked about the ghosts that kind of haunt this episode. Even in the small council room, you know, when Tyrion's looking at that chair and thinking about all the people that have sat there, mm. you know, from his own father on two separate occasions to himself, you know, Ned Stark and like all of that. And they do actually do a really good job of conveying all of that legacy that that hovers over it all. Yeah. So I really thought that was pretty well executed. And then, of course, you get into that big ending that we talked about before with the Starks. Uh, I love Sansa's little throne that she's got with the direwolves. I love the direwolf masthead. Oh yeah, on that was Arya's huge. ship. Yeah, y- you know, you've got you've got Stark sails now setting you know west to to go what's west of Westeros. Yeah. And so it really is that kind of Stark takeover of Westeros, and it's it's Ned Stark's legacy. You know. Yeah. Very much so. And I think that's a really great way to, to end this series. And John, of course, he now ends up, you know, back with Ghost. Yep. So he finally gets to pet Ghost yep. for people who just could not <laughs> stop. There he is. Ghost gets some pets in. His ear's still jacked up. But uh, now you can just assume that uh, John's going to live off in the north and... and help lead the free folk and whoever's left and you know whatever the night's watch looks like now i don't again it's it's not we're not a hundred percent sure where it lands but it looks like john may be the new king beyond the wall yeah i think so and you know that's something that that Tyrion says very briefly when when john asks him if there's still a night's watch what the heck and and turns like there's always going to need to be a place for you know broken and bastards and outcasts basically so yeah and that's that is maybe the soul of John's character. You know, John is John was a a bastard son, uh even though not really, 
but that's that's where he became a leader and those were the the and then like meeting the wildlings and getting to know the free folk he became the voice of the disenfranchised yeah and that's where he flourished as a leader and i think it actually uh the more i think about it the more i really like that ending because he does find a little bit of happiness and he does get to to be that shield that guards the realms of men yep and i love that Tyrion uses that line on him yeah you know, you're you're the shield that guards the realms of men, and that that very much is John's identity. So uh, I do think that John is that last hero. You know, he I don't know if it's the the whole like Azor High prophecy, Prince who was promised. I hate prophecy, um, but I think he fulfills that that in a way where he's the he's that person. Yeah, I don't remember who it was. Was it Jamie Lannister that said something about, you know, fuck prophecy? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no. Um, yeah, I, I really thought the show was going to stick to all of that and there was going to be, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm interrupting myself, but maybe that's the epicness that, that I, I'm so hard trying to understand why people <laughs> were upset by this, but maybe that's the epicness that people, um, uh, felt that they were missing was, you know, the fulfillment of that and, and that Azora high prophecy. And it's, it's echoed so much more in the books than, than it was in the show. I mean, it was definitely a presence right. in the show, but it was definitely something more so prominent in the books. But, you know, this whole idea of the prince that was promised and, and this epic, um, you know, fight and the sword that's going to be on fire and, you know, born of what salt and smoke and, you know, all of this. And then none of that came to play. And it was almost like none of that mattered. And, um, I, I think because of that, it, it set forth so many expectations. It set forth, um, uh, uh just I I don't know just that just just huge huge ex- expectations and when everything kind of comes down to it and it's so much more simpler it's so much more clean I guess um, but what it says to me is that to have a happy ending it doesn't need to be something that's so over the top and epic you know yeah and and that doesn't make it any less valid and it might. It might not give you a, a, a large swelling feeling of, you know, happiness in your chest, but that doesn't mean that, uh, I don't know. I just, I think that the ending that all of these characters had were exactly what they would have wanted. Like, John would not wanted to have been on that throne. Right. Yeah. At all. He had, he did not want to be down in the South at all. Tormund said it himself to John. You belong in the North. You have the true heart of the North. And yes, John was part Stark and part Targaryen, but he never really fully recognized or even knew until recently about the Targaryen side of him. All he knew of was the, the Starkness, I guess. And, and that's what he identified with. And, you know, the, the rest of it was, quite literally foreign to him and that's where he belonged and that's where he felt most comfortable and that's where he felt that he could do the most 
or where he was wanted as well was yeah. there. And Sansa got what she wanted. Arya got what she wanted. Um, goodness knows what Bran actually wanted. But <laughs> he, Nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, I think everything ended the way each of the characters would have wanted. And I think that's more, I think that's more important than what we as the viewer would have wanted. Yeah, I totally agree on that. I think if you look at it as a whole, you do get that bittersweet ending. John has to kill the person that he loves because she's become a monster. And I think there's a tragedy in that. There's a, a, you know, a heartbreaking nature to that. Daenerys becoming the victim of her own kind of undoing. And so there's that. And it, it does feel more bitter than sweet to to an extent where the throne gets destroyed and you have all these other um the, the kind of tatters that King's Landing is left in. And that that seems very grim. But if you look at the individual characters and where they land, um, they do all find peace. Yeah. You know, Sansa finds it, and she also gets the freedom for the Northerners. Jon finds it at the Wall and beyond. Arya finds her peace in setting sail uh, out of Westeros. And then Bran, you know, he kind of agrees to be the king and Tyrion ends up as his hand and Sam ends up as a maester and Brienne ends up as a king guard king's guard and Podrick ends up as a knight so you actually have a lot of characters who find peace and happiness within their own ending as part of this greater tragedy that was the the end of what was the iron throne and the game of thrones yeah so in that i think there are a lot of happy endings it's just it's just buried under a lot of tragedy and misery yeah and like i said earlier i mean (laughs) this show is not known for giving anybody any type of happy ending or any type of happiness you know so i think as as far as that goes that we it it can't get any better (laughs) for a lot of these characters rarely is it elation right i mean rarely do you have a moment of like pure elation yeah there's like like i mentioned a couple weeks ago there's always that feeling things are going too well something's bad's gonna happen and then it does yeah right right you know and i think that's that's part of the complex feelings that you get watching this show and it was never meant to be a pure fairy tale it was meant to to be a story about the, how power corrupts everybody. Yeah. Even the people that you admire, even the people that are heroic can be corrupted. Even inaction can be a form of corruption. And that's all addressed within the show. And I think they do a great job. You know, as I sit back and I, I kind of let wash over me the fact that we don't get to see these characters again. Although, to be honest, they they, they could actually do something else with, with these characters if they wanted to. Um, it's, it's, it's sad to not spend any more time with these characters. Uh, but I feel good about the path that they're all on. Yeah, I do too. And, and I think maybe, again, I'm trying to understand. (laughs) Maybe that's another reason why people didn't find it completely satisfying because they're, are so many things are kind of left open ended. It kind of leaves you to your own imagination. You know, you see John on horseback, basically, like I said before, riding off into the sunset. You see 
Arya sailing off to the west. It's like, does that, does it not feel satisfying because you don't know what happens? Because you want to know what happens next? Does she find something? Does she not find something? Does she just circle back around? And, you know, who knows? And, and I can see where that may seem, I don't know, leave you feeling empty or something, but there's no way, there's no way you're going to get the entirety, the completion of everything. You know, it's just, it's just not possible. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I don't think there's any way to satisfy everybody with an ending uh, because everybody wants something a little bit different. I think that if you're open to storytelling and you're open for the ride and you're open for the adventure, I think you'll enjoy it a lot more than if you have hardened expectations for outcomes. Yeah. Um, you know, again, there's some stuff in here that's not perfect. Looking at season eight as a whole, I really enjoy it. Three of my favorite episodes of this series are in season eight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I enjoy it probably a lot more than than many others have. Uh, there are a couple things that I would change if I could do things differently, but I'm not one of the people making this show and neither is anybody else out there. So yep. that's just kind of something that you have to live with. But... I think ultimately when you look back on it, this this has been such an enormous success and it has changed how we watch television. Like, I mean, Breaking Bad was an unbelievable television show. It's one of the best shows ever. Game of Thrones is now one of the best television shows ever. And you can argue about which one's better. I don't really care about that conversation. Yeah. But what I do care about is how the, these two shows in particular are moving forward and and really changing the way that we consume content. And it's making the television experience just as impactful as the cinematic experience. And it may even allow for the television experience to exceed the cinematic experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's that golden age of uh, the television renaissance that we've we've been talking about, gosh, almost the entire time that we've done the show. Do you realize that right around this time is our three-year anniversary of the show wow yeah three years and we started talking about season six episode four book of the stranger that was our first show Mm -hmm. wow that's crazy (laughs) it was something i just realized today yeah we were such sweet summer children then (laughs) weren't we though (laughs) um but you know it's it's getting back to the the tv thing robin williams used to say that he was of all the stuff that he had done in his career, the thing that he was most recognized for was being Mork from Mork and Mindy. Yeah. And whenever he would be asked about it, he would say the reason why that was the most popular thing is because that character came to people's homes. Yes. You didn't have to go see him in a place. He came to you. Every week. And in this regard, you know, Jon Snow, Tyrion Lannister, Daenerys Targaryen, they've come to you. Yep. And this has... And particularly for people like you and I who love this kind of epic fantasy storytelling, this is a game changer. Yeah, and and, without, and we've seen it reflected in future, you know, shows that are being produced right now, namely right. a prequel for Game of Thrones and the new Lord of the Rings that's being done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could even throw the fact that they're doing this Watchmen series in there as well. Yeah. Like, these are big budget epic fantasy, you know, comic book storytelling. It's now coming to it's now coming to us on TV and maybe even in a better format because Game of Thrones had 73 hours to tell their story. Yeah. 
Lord of the Rings in three movies had about 12 hours. Yeah. You know, so I think there's something to be said there about uh, how the format best lends itself for that kind of epic fantasy storytelling. And the other thing that I think is very hopeful is when we talk about spinoff series, I got to tell you, this Jane Goldman series that that they're working on for Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. it, it might be great. I have a really good feeling about it. And one of the things that kind of helped me have that good feeling about it is Better Call Saul. Because everybody thought Breaking Bad was kind of at its peak and it's so great. And how could you ever do a spinoff that would even be uh, remotely in the ballpark? Better Call Saul is an excellent show. And in some ways, it does some things even better than Breaking Bad did. Yeah. And I think it's possible that when you look at this spinoff series, it might do some things better than Game of Thrones did. Yeah. And I think that's very possible and it's very exciting. Like one of the things right off the bat, it's a very diverse cast that's part of that sequel and then the the prequel series. And the other thing too that I noticed and that makes me think that HBO thinks they have something is the budget for the new show is actually on par with the later seasons of Game of Thrones. Wow. So they are throwing a ton of money at it. Yeah. And that's exciting, too, because it, it tells you that they're going to be big and bold and awesome. Uh, you know, we're going to talk. It's going to address like the rise of Valyria and all this other stuff. So that to me is exciting. It's an exciting time to be a fan of this kind of storytelling. I agree. And it was something that you had asked last week wondering if um, at this finale were they going to mention this new series and there was not any mention whatsoever um, but next week we get the two hour documentary about the making of this show and I'm wondering then if they will kind of sneak in a little something something about this new series at that point you know I, and because one of the things that i said of like no i don't think they're going to mention this new series so that they can leave this one alone they can leave yeah you know game of thrones as its own thing don't you know let it bleed over into this one but maybe at the end of the documentary maybe they would yeah although what they did have was a really killer westworld trailer i was not expecting that me neither. And I was not aware that Aaron Paul was joining the cast. Mm-hmm. So the entire trailer until the end, I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And I was like, Westworld? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was my actual reaction to it. And the funny, the reason why I'm laughing so much is I can just picture the look on your face and everything. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is a great time to be a fantasy storytelling fan, and Game of Thrones, the legacy of this show is going to to just, it's it's going to be endless. It's now up there with the big fantasy things that we're into as a society, like Lord of the Rings. It's right up there with Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and the stuff that we watch in the MCU, this big epic storytelling, these heroes journeys the, the, the all the reasons why you and i do this podcast you know yeah. these big stories that, that connect us to the stories that we love and the kinds of characters that we love so it's it the legacy of game of thrones is going to be amazing yeah it's a good time to be a nerd or geek 
And I would also just recommend for those of you guys that are kind of hankering for some new fantasy storytelling, uh, for those of you guys that are big book nerds, I highly recommend Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. Uh, that's another one that kind of has been rumored to be entering a, a film or television development phase. That's kind of cool. If you like Game of Thrones, I think that's kind of right up your alley, too. Uh, yeah, but, you know, of course, we got the, the Lord of the Rings series that we talked about. So it's just a lot of good stuff that's coming down the line. And um, I'm excited to spend more time with characters from, uh, not Westeros, but it's going to be like Valyria, the new series. Planetos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It'll be fun to spend time with those characters and, uh, gosh. Get to know a whole What a ride it's been. I know. Get to know a whole new group of them. Carrie, what are your final thoughts on Game of Thrones, the legacy, how it makes you feel? I'm feeling incredibly secure with my three-eyed raven tattoo right now. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good. I called it years ago. Now I just got to add a little go. crown on his head or something. You, you should do that. <laughs> add, a little, add a little crown up top. Yep. Just don't cover the third eye. No, no, no. The third eye is very prominent. You can see it. Were you like, you were, you, you probably weren't sweating it. You probably weren't sweating it. No, but I, uh, <laughs> I will say, and I think I've mentioned this before, Bran has always been one of my favorite characters. Um, I, I, I have been a little disappointed by him this season because much like Cersei, he just kind of sat around and looked at people. Um, and I was hoping we were going to get something more, um, from him and, and his story. Cause I thought, uh, the last few seasons had been so interesting as we were, you know, getting to see his development into Three-Eyed Raven and kind of what his capabilities were. And I was hoping we were going to see more of that. Um, so I was a little disappointed that we didn't get more of that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly secure. With my three-eyed raven tattoo right now. <laughs> awesome. Also, one more thing that I do want to say about this show. And and uh, one of the things... Well, there I think there are two things that regardless of what you feel about particular episodes or the story, there are two things that this show never failed on. One, costuming from Michelle Clapton. True. Costuming has always been sensational on this show. And two, the music from Ramin Javadi. Yeah. Who, Oh my god, the season 8 soundtrack may be his best one yet. It's amazing, and they, I don't know if I mentioned this before, if it was just me talking to you, um, that they just recently announced that they are doing yet again another Game of Thrones live concert tour. I know we did a whole episode on that uh, like two years ago or so, and uh, you know, take a look online, see if it's coming to a city near you, because if it is, Go. And if you've been to it before, it looks like this one is, is being set up a bit different. Um, I went to the very first time. They kind of, they've toured around twice already. Um, but this one looks to be a bit different. Um, being that before where I saw it was in an arena, uh, and they used the full arena floor and, um, you know, had a, a long stage and had these massive uh projectors and 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 things um these screens that were set up it was just a really amazing stage setup that they had but um for me in in my location where it's coming to is actually an outdoor amphitheater so it's sounding more orchestral um granted they had a full orchestra and everything from before but it's sounding like a very different 
um, production, but they will be showing scenes and playing music from all eight seasons of Game of Thrones. And when I went to the first one, I know this was something that I had mentioned that, you know, I, I liked the music, but I wasn't expecting to be taken on the emotional ride um, that I was at that point. And it was an amazingly, amazingly well put together show. And uh, Ramin Javadi will be on the tour again. Um, the composer, you see him conducting and you actually get to hear him play. Um, he did before and I'm sure it will happen again. And um, as before, some of the original musicians and vocalists that you he hear every week on the show are actually there on the tour as well. So it's an amazing production and I'm so lucky that it is coming to Tampa, Florida. And actually when I happen to be on break from my next tour, so I already have tickets. So I am going to it in September. I can't wait. And like I said, if it's coming to a city near you, go. It's incredible. Awesome. I'm talking directly to awesome. you, Nick. You had better go because I know you missed it the last two times. I did. I did. Oh, you'll be um, so happy. All right. So I think that wraps up this episode on Game of Thrones. I I don't know if we're going to do more Game of Thrones content or not, to be honest. I'm sure Maybe. we will. I'm sure we Ooh. will. I have no doubt. We'll probably circle back to it for sure. I mean, this is one of those things that, that you know... We can always go back and recap other seasons as well, because we only got a couple of those seasons done. Yep. So we'll, we'll maybe spend some time and definitely talk about the spinoff series as they develop out any further. But, uh, whew, you guys have heard our thoughts on Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 6, The Iron Throne, but we'd like to hear yours as well. So hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at NerdflixChill. You can also check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you are listening on those platforms, throw us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. You can find all of our new episodes at, LRI, uh, at lrmonline.com. And while you're there, you can check out their network of podcasts as well. A lot of good stuff there. Thank you all for joining us. May the Force be with you, because night is dark and full of terrors. And now our watch has ended. <laughs> <laughs>